Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Retailistic. We are very honored to have with us James Cook, who is no longer live from Las Vegas, but uh, now uh, live from, I believe, Indianapolis, and is joining us. So James and I have known each other for a few years as both members of the research group for ICSC. Hello, James, and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's This is so funny, Deb, because you and I recorded a podcast episode for my podcast on Tuesday, and that episode is going to be coming out this week, so I was in the middle of reviewing it. So it's just all Deb and James all day today. I, but doesn't, doesn't it feel like that was a long time ago? I was thinking about that. I'm like, you know, I was like writing down questions for today. I was like, wow, you know, James and I talked a while ago. I was like, oh my gosh, it was like two days ago. I know. No. Well, you know, it, it feels like a million. Yeah, a million. Well, it's a lot of miles away and, and uh, a, a lot was packed into a very short amount of time. Yeah, it was definitely, I think, one of the better ICSC conferences I've been to. And I felt like and I, I, I'm still mulling it over, you know, this idea that people are just very present. Yeah. And I, you know, not to get too much into the, like the meta about uh, aspects about the conference and how it was organized, but it felt like it was the perfect mix of educational sessions and then also uh, meeting and greeting with people. Um, The way they've kind of come to do it is there's like one half day of education and then you've got two meeting days where you're just going around and talking to different people. But then they're also current concurrently running these little, I guess, mini education panels, you know, which are, are right there. So it's this perfect mix for me of, you know, both people and information. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. And, and I think that there was enough to kind of, you know, if you will, spin up some conversations. And I didn't feel that anyone was running away from the tough ones, right? I mean, there was, there was a, you know, which, uh, you know, this is where I'm like, yeah, I, there's I, a few, there's a few tough ones right now. Yeah. Well, the debt <laughs> one, like that, yeah. well, I, I have to say like, for me, it was like debt and office yep. and, you know, redevelopment and then organized retail crime. I think those were, what did I miss? I think those are the toughest ones. Yeah. I think it's funny, like it, we used to be uh, a, a, a tough question of the past was about, you know, online eating away at bricks and mortar, but we've actually, that doesn't seem to be an issue anymore. But those, <laughs> those ones yeah. that you, you named are, are the big ones. And especially, you know, you know, I talk to a lot of um, developers who make their money by, you know, buying and selling properties and, uh, you know, the high and high and growing interest rates is really affecting them. Oh, yeah. I, did you hear? Actually, this is interesting because I was thinking about, you know, I, I looked at my notes from last year and, you know, the three kind of takeaways I had were around redevelopment, organized retail crime and sustainability. I don't think I heard the word sustainability once. I heard it a little bit, but it wasn't as big of a push. You know, I guess my take is if things are going really well um, in the economy and people are feeling good, then they'll have the excess brain capacity to mm-hmm. devote to the future. But right now they're like just thinking about, well, how do I deal with these headwinds, you know, which is yeah. not how it should be. I mean, now's the time to, you know, really be thinking about sustainability. But I agree. It wasn't um, talked about as much this year, I think, as last. Well, it's interesting. In some ways, we we may be as an industry more sustainable because in a challenging environment, everyone's trying to figure out how to do more with less. And to me, sustainability is all just about 
you know, using less and hopefully having better outcomes. Yeah. And certainly, I mean, if you just look at what's a big contributor to, um, you know, fuel usage, it's people traveling in planes. And I know in the business world right now, <laughs> business travel has been cut back. I don't, I don't know about you, but my travel has been cut back significantly this year. And, uh, I'm sure that's, you know, been a positive for the environment. Yeah. Well, and you've also seen, thank goodness, you know, gas prices, you know, kind of going in a different direction, which is, you know, kind of helping everybody at least have a little bit more, a few more coins in their, uh, in their pocket. So that's, you know, that, that let's, 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 let's just kind of take a victory lap for, for a positive that we can point to. So, all right, I've got some, I'm going to rapid fire some questions to you. All right. Biggest surprise. Oh my gosh. Um, biggest surprise is okay. I'm not good with these rapid fire questions. <laughs> um, I'm just going to try to think of a surprise. It's funny. Like I have, I pulled up my calendar from the, the past week so I could be thinking about everything that happened and so much stuff happened that I don't even remember half of it. Okay. Here's a good surprise. One of the people that I talked to was Zach Paul, uh, with, uh, he's the head of real estate for peachy, uh, which is a, um, a growing med spa, um, Botox chain. They've got locations in New York city and they're growing what I was, and this is a good one. I was very surprised that Botox, uh, is growing in popularity, um, with folks who are in their mid twenties to mid thirties. Um, that seems to be a real growth category and it's all about, um, instead of, um, fixing wrinkles, preventing them, mm -hmm. um, which I just didn't know that people that young thought about things like that, but apparently I am wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So tell us, James, we know you have a phenomenal podcast and I also, I have to say, I might've been two years ago when I started to watch some of your videos with your GoPro and I was like, wow, this is like really phenomenal. Can you talk a little bit about how you got into podcasting, what you use your GoPro for, and you know how does that kind of relate to you know leading research for JLL? Yeah, so I oversee our retail research team for North America at JLL, and so we do a couple of things, but our big mandate is producing thought leadership. So writing reports, looking at trends, actually a lot of the kinds of things that you do, Deb, over at CoreSight. Um, and so you know early on when I came to JLL, and I was this was a new department. So I was brought on, um, to kind of build out this capacity at JLL. And early on, I was like, you know, there's gotta be different ways beyond the 30 page PDF, which is still, you know, <laughs> it's still a lot of everything that's our thought leadership is built on, but you know, what are the outshoots of that? What are the ways where we can get this, the findings of these reports out to people where people have time to actually consume them? So one of the first things I did was, you know, I was a big, listener to podcasts. And I was like, you know, I could just record a podcast on my phone. So naive. I was like, oh, this will be so easy. So I recorded some like five minute audios of me talking on my iPhone back. This was a number of years ago, um, maybe 2016, 2017, somewhere around there and uh, uploaded them to some free podcast host. And it was sounded awful. Right. But I kind of learned how to do it. And over time, the Where We Buy podcast has really built up. And now we do three to four episodes a month um, with interviews uh, with all kinds of different folks within the retail and retail real estate world. And that's, I mean, we're, I don't know, we're like 260 episodes now. And that's just kind of really built it out to the point where we're recording 
you know, we had a podcast booth set up at ICSC and we were recording, I don't know, I think we ended up doing, <clears throat> excuse me, 13 interviews over two days, which is why my voice sounds uh, a little gravelly right now. Um, so there's that. Then we do LinkedIn lives, which I think you do too, yeah. um, which are great. We do like one of those a month. Um, and those are branded uh, everything we know about retail. And those are also archived over on YouTube. And we used to do more, but we found that if we do less, but spend more time on curating guests for them, um, we'll get a better kind of response to that LinkedIn crowd. So the last one we had, oh, uh, we had folks from a couple of different restaurant chains talking about, um, you know, how they're interacting with landlords right now. And, um, you know, I think our next topic is going to be on entertainment concepts that are expanding. And then you, you mentioned the GoPro. And so, yeah, I just, you know, as I was doing retail touring, I just started recording my visits to places and posting those on LinkedIn and YouTube as well. And um, those are, you know, we kind of post maybe one of those a month because they're they're a little bit of work to do. But a recent one we did was to um, Grandscape, which is uh, this big entertainment development that's like 30 minutes north of Dallas in a place called The Colony, which is a great name. It sounds like sounds like a science fiction movie, maybe <laughs> we're from The Colony. But anyway, um, so Grandscape is this big entertainment developed developed by um, uh, Warren Buffett, as a matter of fact, and just anchored by Nebraska Furniture Mart, uh, anchored by this amazing uh Superstore Shields, it's like sporting goods and entertainment and stuff. So we shot a bunch of video and put together um, just a great trip, like like a two or three minute trip report on that, which um, really had a lot of, um, you know, posted on LinkedIn, got a lot of views. So anyway, those that's uh, kind of where we're at with kind of the stuff that we're producing around thought leadership. That's phenomenal. So do you have a, you know, how often I guess are you out in the stores how are you kind of driving insights and, you know, how do you kind of suss out the, this is, you know, here and now, or this is like a bright, shiny object. So we're, uh, whenever we travel and so our team, I think we're really lucky in that our team is small, but we're really spread out. So we've got um, one person in Toronto, one person in LA, one person in Miami and one person in New York city. And then I cover the Midwest. I'm here in Indianapolis, which is kind of, the, it's funny. I'm, I, I head up the team and I'm in the sleepiest retail market of, of all of us, but, um, I also travel more. So that gives me an opportunity. Um, whenever any of us travels, we're always visiting places and, you know, it's iPhones are awesome. You can cr take quick video, you know, very quickly. Um, and so we're all, we all make a point to visit whatever the new store is, whatever the new, you know, retail technology is that's, that's popping up. Um, how to decide if it's a bright, shiny object. I think intuitively we've started to realize it's interesting. Like if you go to a store and they have some, I don't know, like some VR thing set up and you do it once and you're like, oh, that was cool or whatever. And then you never think about it again. You know, that's just a little flash in the pan. Whereas if you go to a restaurant and there's, um, a new way. For example, I was just at um, uh, Brew Dog on the Vegas Strip, which is an awesome new roof rooftop restaurant on the Vegas Strip. Um, and the way that we were like, "Hey, can we split the check?" and she's like, "No problem. Just scan your QR code 
uh, your phone on this QR code and, and it just the app just popped up and we just split the check amongst ourselves, each putting in our own credit cards and it did all the math and it was so seamless and easy and so easy for the server. She didn't have to deal with throwing a check across a bunch of credit cards. And that's the kind of technology that's here to stay when it's just easy, seamless, and you feel good about it. And, you know, where do you think, and maybe from a JLL perspective, where are you seeing, you know, tenants, you know, retailers, brands, et cetera. Someone's like, tenant sounds like a bad word. I'm like, I think that's just, unless you guys have another word for it, I don't. I, I don't. wish we did, but yeah, yeah unfortunately <laughs> we say tenant all the time. I know, like, that what? Was, that was like the one thing that came out of ICS. So going back to like what I had never, they're like, that just takes out the kind of like, you know, if you will, the, the symbiotic relationship, right? That makes it, you know, kind of non-symbiotic. And so I was like, okay, I said, so we'll, we'll have to come up with a new word for that. So we'll call them retailers and brands to make it easy. What technologies are you seeing that they're interested in? How are they engaging differently with their consumer? And you talked about, I thought it was really interesting, right? You know, and I agree with you, right? We used to be very worried about, you know, kind of online. And, you know, I think what we've seen is, you know, truly in some ways, like, online and offline, right? We've seen consumers who were, let's just say, cultivated during, you know, during the pandemic and, you know, as things have opened up, right? They're, you know, they've realized they've like almost like rediscovered the store, right? I mean, there's, there's this whole kind of, I think, you know, discovery process, kind of how can I make better decisions? How can I have fun? Can I spend time with family and friends? So it's a lot of questions, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll start to chip away at some of those. Well, I think this is a continuation really of a conversation that we were having uh, in Las Vegas about um, the potential for true personalization through um, generate like through AI, uh, generative AI, and just the 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 fact that like chatbots today are very limited. Uh, it's like if you don't unless you're asking, you know, you know, when is your store open and how can I get to your store? The information that a chatbot today can deliver is very limited, but the chatbot of the future, um, I envision it. There's a store associate that is purely devoted to your happiness. You know, that is the chatbot of the future. And as long as it's done in a not spooky way, I think it's going to be super successful. Um, and I think everybody, because it's just like people are really expensive and, you know, labor is so short right now. Everybody wants to deliver a great experience, but it's so tough to do and also, you know, maintain your profit margin. So if there's a way to do that online with um, an AI technology that's like sort of in a your your I don't know, you know, let's say I'm going to shop at something like, I don't know, like Target. And there is an app that just helps me plan my journey and tells me, you know, hey, you know, talks to me about the things that I need in a very casual and, and human way and then makes the shopping list for me. And and who knows, maybe even orders my Starbucks for me in advance so I can go pick it up in my shopping journey. Um, all of that stuff, I think, is definitely on the horizon. It's kind of like, you know, it used to be rich people had the personal assistance. Uh, and now hopefully everybody gets a personal digital assistant of some type. They're all they're all sitting there in our pockets. So actually, the timing of this is phenomenal. I hopped off of a Qualcomm uh, analyst, you know, kind of briefing today, and have to say, it's not often that my you know kind of jaw hits the desk. But you know, this idea that we've had so many of the kind of cloud players, I think, is the nicest way to frame the the conversation, talking about 
the generative AI market, but you know, from a Qualcomm perspective, right, it's like device driven. And so if you think mm. about like, you know, a, a Snapdragon, you know, chip and the ability for, I mean, this is like, it was like one of those like, and the minute that they said it, I was like, of course, right? I mean, it really, and, you know, because there's been so many of these, you know, kind of concerns, conversations, private cloud, public cloud, you know, some mistakes that other technology firms that we don't need to discuss have made. And this, you know, this kind of whole idea. So this was, you know, when you think about your job and my job, so they were saying, so think about, right, you can record something on your device. You can then ask it to write through the right prompts. And we talked about this whole idea of these like prompt engineers, this whole new, very <laughs> fast growing kind of job. You can then ask it to summarize and, you know, that could be your newsletter. And then you can ask it for like three bullet points, which you can then send to, let's say, your subscribers. And you think about the amount of time you're saving and, you know, you and I can then add in our, our own perspective and whatnot. But this idea, I mean, you know, you think about how long it takes to get a piece of, you know, kind of content out. I mean, this is just, and I remember at uh, CES this year, I, I have yet to get it, but, you know, that's that's on me. I've, I, 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 I walk yearning by the different uh, kind of stores selling the Android devices. Uh, TCL came out and said they're going to have like a creator phone. Huh. So this idea that like literally... You, you know, it'd be better than kind of, you know, the, the, the clarity than anything that's currently on the market. I, I think we start to think about content in a really different way. So not only like the speed, but also the, the quality. And, you know, if you've played around with, you know, kind of generative AI, right, you, you can, you know, use Dolly and Midjourney. And, you know, they're already, right, Qualcomm was already talking about kind of like next, you know, next gen on top of generative AI, right? Like next gen, you know, kind of, uh, you know, just images and how these can be created just through through prompts in a very different way. So I don't, I I have to say, I, I mean, you and I, James, this is right, both in research. I love to learn. I like to be surprised. You know, I certainly want to have enough time to kind of digest it and understand it. I think I'm there now, but it does feel like we're getting to a pace where it is, you know, the the slope of the line keeps changing. And when I'm literally learning something new every day, but like something that completely changes what I thought the day before, it it can almost be exhausting. Oh, it's definitely exhausting. And Deb, um, having known you for a number of years, you probably have twice the amount of energy that I do. <laughs> and so if you're exhausted, I think things must be very overwhelming. <laughs> Well, and I, and I think it goes back to the, you know, there's there's so much that can be done right now today. And, you know, whether it's on the personal side so that we can kind of take care of, you know, let's just call it mundane, uh, repetitive tasks in a, in a faster way so we can have yeah. more quality time. I mean, that's how I look at it, at least for right now. But but some of what I'm hearing is, right, we're kind of going beyond that. And it, it starts to, you know, if we can, I mean, you and I are both you know, perfectionist, right? If it can really start to improve the quality of our work in a way that allows us to, you know, I mean, think about how much time you're talking about. I thought, you know, spending on like perfecting, right? The the podcasts and the videos and all this. I mean, I think that if you're starting off with a much better product, imagine what we can do in like three months, six months, nine. I mean, this is the thing. I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking about holiday 23 and I'm like, I don't even know what it's going to look like right now. And right. that's exciting. I mean, it's, it's a little terrifying as well, but it's, you know, because I, I like to write my, my holiday preview in August and I was like, 
you know, you start to think about like research calendars and stuff like that, because maybe we need to do things in like, we need to just completely rethink timelines too. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. We do have that research calendar too. Right now we're running our back to school survey, which is funny because schools just let out, but you know, we have to think in advance about, uh, about that. And, uh, yeah, who knows, maybe our holiday survey, you know, we run that closer. So we run that over the, over the summer as well. And so, uh, it is, there is a, there's a lapse there and things can really change, you know? So hopefully, hopefully they don't though. No, I mean, I think, I think that that's, what's really, you know, quite interesting. Well, it was funny. I was explaining to, uh, some Canadians how many of the schools in the U S go back, you know, first week of August. So I said, you truly, so at least in the East coast, we get out the like last week of June and you know, you're kind of like right into back to school on a national level. If other schools are starting right first week of August and yeah, I mean, it's like, you're, you're never not, not thinking about school. It's, it's actually quite interesting. And then on the same token, right, holiday like moved into October. Yeah. I actually have to say last year it was even in like September. Yeah. We had retailers that I've never, I mean, things that you've never seen who were sold out of Halloween in mid-August. And right, you know, some of our clients were asking us, should we try and get back in business? And I was like, you know, there's obviously a lot of excitement about celebrating holidays. I said, I, I would think that that would be the case. And I think in some cases, not only did they reorder and blow through it, they end up kind of placing it yet like another order. And so these are the things that, you know, I think when the environment is changing this quickly and, you know, I will tell you or I'll ask you one of the questions that I got and I, I did kind of, I think, talk my way through it. Uh, it was from a client was just kind of like, what's the future of cinemas? I We won't name any any specific ones. Oh, boy. Yeah. And I also uh, had some cinema conversations with some cinema um, operators and observers uh, over the past week. Yeah. Okay. So my take is there's a um, bright future for a smaller number of screens. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, we we built up this just network of thousands of multiplexes for a time that's different than it is now when we all have um, blockbuster movies on demand from all these different streaming services. So if you're going to deliver a cinematic experience in person, you've got to deliver an experience. And that's more than just a big screen. It's about food. It's about customer service. It's usually about having a drink or two. Um, It could be about new technology to, you know, whatever. Obviously, 3D is a big one, but um, it also could be about um, cultural events and curation. So I'm thinking about Alamo Draft House, where they mm-hmm. do you know different comebacks of you know bringing back uh, you know old movies, doing movie series, film festivals. So it's uh, you've got to think of yourself as a cultural curator, not just an exhibitor. So I do think at the end of the day, um, it's a great. It continues to be a great thing to do. Um, with your friends or your family on a, you know, a Friday or Saturday night. Um, But um, perhaps the commodity uh, movie theater journey is a little bit more limited. And so it's got to be a little more crafted and a little bit, a little bit more curated. Um, But, you know, I mentioned Alamo Drafthouse, they're expanding, Mm -hmm. they're opening new locations. Um, I think Studio Movie Grill is opening new locations. It's really just the big, those big chains with many, many multiplexes that are facing the most headwinds right now. 
you know, I my whole take was that if you think about the stats, right, there's 150 million gamers in the U.S. right now who spend 24 hours a week gaming. That's a lot of time. And, you know, we're, we're used to kind of sitting and engaging. The challenge, I think, with when you go to the theater is you're not engaging, right? You're you're static. And, you know, I mean, I, I think I may have shared with you, right? Sometimes I'm like, you know, if the family wants to go, like, I'll go and take like a nap, right? If I'm not, you know, but I don't want to <laughs> not participate. And, you know, there, you know, there's shoppable video now, there's gamification, right? I mean, you know, if I could, right, watch and win, or if I could, like, you know, order my food, and, you know, if I'm like, I mean, I just, I mean, yeah, so there's, it hasn't there's, changed. It, it's there's, literally not changed in my my lifetime. I, I agree with you. I mean, there's, okay, so Deb, there's two kinds of entertainment. There's lean forward, where you're engaged, which is clearly what you love. And then there's lean back, um, which is you're just sitting back and you're observer and you're an observer. And I do think that obviously the cinema is meant for the lean back type of entertainment, which I think a lot of people are still into. You know, when I binge the new uh, season of whatever uh, on Netflix, um, that's more of a lean back experience. I'm just sitting back and letting it flow over me. So I think there's still a place for that. But to your point, I mean, there could be new creative interactive elements, especially to like a Marvel movie. You know, I could see like, Hey, uh, maybe give everybody in the in the theater like a laser gun that they can shoot at the bad guys when they show up on screen or something like that. I I love that lean forward. So, how do you think about sporting events? Oh, those are definitely lean forward, <laughs> and those are one of the true. Um, I think those are right now are the saving grace for like traditional um, like broadcast media companies because. That that is the one thing that people don't want to time shift. You know, they want to see that movie. I'm sorry. They want to see that sporting event live um, Mm -hmm. because they don't want it spoiled. And now because for some reason, betting on sports is now legal in many, if not most places, um, which uh, was really surprising to me that 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 happened. But anyway, now that betting is so easy. Um, you're everybody like just everybody I talk to bets a little bit on sports, like all the sports fans I talk to. And it may not be a lot, but it's like, you know, enough for them to be engaged in the game. And so because of that, it really is a very lean forward activity. Plus, you've got people talking about games and on social media as they're happening. Yeah, well, going back to the whole kind of spoil uh, piece of that, right? The I mean, it's interesting. We had uh, been really impressed with some of the, let's just say, the innovation coming out of like the Islanders, where hmm. you can literally sit in your seat and create like a custom-made journey, uh, like through like a, a a jersey or kind of other product. But like I looked at that and I was, like I said, it goes back to, I mean, when I think theaters, like I think merch. And I mean, I can tell you every single, I mean, I have, I'm literally in my apartment. We have a Top Gun popcorn bucket. <laughs> I have a, are you there guards, me, Margaret, uh, like cup with a lid. We have, I mean, if, if there's merch, we buy it, right? Because when we go, we like, we're going all in. <laughs> and, you know, if there was merch for every movie, I guarantee you it's probably good there isn't. It would be in my apartment. And I, I feel like if there's also going back to something custom that, you know, if I could get a t-shirt with, I don't know, my name on it or, or whatnot, or a dog sweater for my dog with their name, right? Those are the things like, I just feel like it's, 
you know, they're missing out on huge revenue opportunities because I do think there's something so special about going to the theater, you know, to see what I, you know, if I were to take out my crystal ball, what I would believe is going to happen right now, it is, you know, it is unfortunate. That's a, that's a good way. That is a very nice yeah. way to put it, right? It's a very analyst way to put it. It is unfortunate. <laughs> well, I like your idea. I'm going to, I'm going to yes and you here. I think we should put <laughs> every movie theater should have a temporary pop-up space in it. Um, Ooh, I love so there's that. continually rotating merchandise associated with whatever's playing in the theater that moment. And it makes me think of, um, so, you know, about the stranger things pop up store, yep. very popular. Um, it's actually about to open, I think next week, um, on the Las Vegas strip. No um, way. yeah. In uh, I'm trying to think of what the, it was, a. I forget what what the retail it's it's in a retail box in in Showcase Mall, which is right there on the Vegas Strip, where um like the M M&M and M store and the Coca Cola is. So perfect, perfect for Stranger Things. But I mean, yeah, just imagine if you know the next I don't know what's a Marvel movie Ant Man comes out and there's a whole Ant Man store at your theater. Like you could just you know double the amount of money that people are spending when they go to the theater. You know, with all these Marvel fans. One one other thing that I heard for the first time at ICSC, there actually it, it was interesting. There there were several of those. So one was this concern over the future of the cinema, and then secondly, I have not heard pop up for off price, and as a way for retailers who are over inventoried to clear that versus other channels that they've used in the past, so that they can kind of control the well, the margin for sure, but also just kind of control, you know, the experience that the consumer has. So that was, a, that was a new and interesting kind of, you know, conversation. I don't know if, if you've, I, I mean, I may, you know, since I heard at the conference, obviously it's been, I assume being talked about in other circles, but I thought that that was fascinating. Uh, yeah, I don't think I haven't, I mean, I've seen it occasionally. I didn't hear anybody talking about, I mean, I think about, you know, a lot of chains will have a few, locations that they use to offload you know the left mm-hmm. like i'm thinking about what's the uh the dicks uh going going gone stores yep. you know um you know it shouldn't be that difficult to uh do a a pop-up you know over the summer or something to to get rid of excess inventory um yeah i don't know that's an interesting idea i i hadn't heard a lot of folks talking about it yeah that came up and then the other question we got quite a bit was around demalling and you know th- this idea that you know i think with the you know potentially uh current debt situation that you know we may be facing some you know challenges that we haven't in the past have you heard of that and what else have you heard around the the concerns as they relate to the you know this kind of idea around the you know the the impending debt challenges um, yeah. So, I mean, when you talk about malls and we'll say, uh, for the purposes of this conversation, we're not talking about the top 50 to hundred successful malls. Um, but kind of the others that, you know, a lot of them are, are doing okay. Like the, the B malls, but there's some C malls that are really struggling. And, you know, the question is what to do with those. Mm-hmm. And the first thing you need, if you're going to do anything with a mall is you need capital to do it. And uh, yeah, it's tough with interest rates right now. I mean, when I talk 
when I talk with somebody who's buying a mall, it's usually like, yeah, we're going to, I just talked with somebody who's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to buy a mall and we're going to, uh, scrape it and put up industrial, you know, that's what pencils out right now. Um, there is, I mean, there is opportunity for like, you know, just Simon is doing, you know, redevelopment as Mace, mm-hmm. Mace Rich has done. And that's where it makes economic sense right now where you've got this, you know, a hot mall where if there was residential there as an example or office, people would want to work there. People would want to live there. But I think it makes it real. Capital is always the big constraint, you mm-hmm. know, to these creative ideas. And um, like if you have like, say, a C mall, you're not going to you're not going to be able to do some crazy creative reinvention right now that is a retail component, you know? No. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. I think that, you know, we just definitely have, you know, there's a slow, you know, I think there's some, you know, you know, folks have said, hey, we're going to lose X percentage of malls over the next, you know, this many malls over this many years. I think it's a slow, slower attrition than people expected. I think there's a lot of malls that are hanging on. But every year, I mean, we track all the mall redevelopments. And every year there's a, you know, a handful of them. Some of them still retain it. Actually, most of them still retain a retail component. Most of them are going to mixed use, but many of them are going to um, flex or industrial. You know, that's that seems to be the thing that pencils out in a lot of cases. Well, and that makes total sense. All right. So I'm, I'm leaving the most difficult question to last. Oh, no. <laughs> it's one word office. Well, um, all I have to say is that um office folks i've been on this journey for 20 years i know what it feels like <laughs> at the beginning whenever you get completely disrupted um and you're like oh things are changing and at first it is very scary and you're really you know everybody in the media is talking about how it's the end of the world and then things progress and you realize oh you know in the retail world oh well, we're going to continue to buy and sell things in bricks and mortar space and some things will be sold online and the stores that remain are going to add their value in their own special way. And we're going to have hybrid shopping experiences. All of that is happening right now in office. The problem is in order to get to that, we've got a lot of pain to get through. (laughs) We've got a lot of, unfortunately, office properties that are going to probably go back to the lender and, um, just a lot of reinvention going on. I don't think there's a short-term easy solution to the fact that office usage is 50% of what it was, you know, just a few years ago. Yeah. I mean, I've heard about some, you know, kind of interesting where, you know, if the elevator banks are set up right, right, the first 10 floors can be, and this is, some of these are already in progress, are being turned into hotels and then the rest is residential. But I think that's few and far between. That's maybe some research we can do together, which would be fun. Um, because I do think the way that it impacts retail, of course, is the retail that surrounds the office uh, district and just the offices. And, you know, someone, I was talking to someone, it's like, you know, can can like the mayor of my town just come out and say, please go to the office and buy a coffee and a sandwich, right? And that'll that'll take care of a lot I think, of things. I think Eric Adams has already tried that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Very, very true. No, I mean, it's... But it, but it is a, a challenge ahead. So I, I think, James, we have to close out with our kind of podcast marathon that we started talking about at ICSE. Oh, my gosh. So 
Uh, if lis- if listeners want more of what you're getting right now, go over to <laughs> go over to where we buy, um, because our next episode of where we buy will be uh, Deb and James, and then also <laughs> Eberry, who who is also well, blame it on uh, him. Worth- it's Eberry's fault. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were having such a great time. And, you know, Adeline, who who runs our podcast, is probably now like, you know, if, if, if this if, if this episode doesn't go well, right, she's probably not falling on the floor and is like, she never told me this. <laughs> you know, we talked about this idea because, right, James and I, I mean, as you can tell, probably could talk for four hours and not take a breath and still have four more hours of content to talk about. And then Eberry like throws us these softballs and these like baseballs where we're like, where did that come from? And we really need to dig <laughs> down into that. And I was like, you know, this is fun. And especially we can do it in a way to raise money for charity and, you know, do some good, right? Why not? So we've got to like, that'll be our summer project, James, to kind of put this together and, you know, figure out we probably need to go, we could just do it live from a mall too. Why not? Right? Yeah. So you're talking about this idea of doing a live podcast marathon for charity, which mm-hmm. I'm all over. Uh, I love a great challenge. Yeah, yeah. We just, you're right though. Logistically, it wouldn't it be more fun if we were together live oh, in person somewhere. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what we care about. Like, let's, you know, let's, let's do that. And like, all, you know, all we want is, I, I said on the other podcast, I want gluten-free Oreos. I will take like caffeine of any kind, just lots of candy. I mean, you know, just, just will keep me going. And I, I think that we, you know, we want an audience and, you know, we, we need some charity partners. So, I mean, we've well, done, that, yeah. we're, we're going to, we're going to do this. I mean, we got to, we just have to make a date. So, yeah. So we manage, we manage, uh, JLL, we manage a lot of malls. So I'll have to find a good one. It's, it's, we we do have malls that have podcast studios in them too. No way. That's so <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, which is the one I was just talking to, um, Rosedale center, um, yeah. in Minneapolis, yeah. uh, which we manage. Rosedale. Yeah. Yeah. That has a podcast studio in it now. So maybe we do it from Minnesota. I love it. Oh my gosh. That's, <laughs> that's fantastic. All right. So everyone, we're going to end there on a super positive note and, uh, not only good things, great things, phenomenal things come together when when James and I spend time together. And I think it's this kind of mutual curiosity and also, you know, some very similar values in terms of how we approach things. And he's been a dear friend for many years. And I feel fortunate, James, to call you a friend. I really do. Oh, thank you, Deb. Thank you so much for having me on this show, too. Absolutely. So everyone, like, subscribe on your podcast channel of choice. And uh, we'll announce our podcast kind of marathon soon. And can't wait to see you next week. Thanks so much, everyone. 